and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. I am thrilled to say that we have Michael Judson Barry on this episode of Not Too Deep. He's an actor, comedian, uh, character performer, and all-around incredible human being. You might know him as the creator and star of Quarantine Time on TikTok. Uh, he does Moira Rose maybe better than Moira does. He's even been recognized by Catherine O'Hara for his impressions, uh, for his impressions. We talked a lot on this episode, so sorry if I'm a bit tongue-tied. We had just such a lovely conversation. We learned about how his mom, as a clinical psychologist, has influenced his theater uh, and performance career, what he is doing on TikTok, what the future holds, um, and we answer some questions on uh, how you can best serve yourself uh, when you're confused after graduation on whether you want to pursue your art degree versus uh, your more uh, stable psychology degree. It's all here. I'm rambling. Enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Michael Judson Barry. <laughs> Michael Barry, we're going to get right into it, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, First of all, you are uh, an artist and people that wear many hats that, um, you know, create in different capacities. I like to start off by asking them, um, how do you describe what you do? Oh, how do I describe what I do? <laughs> just a really easy question to start off Isn't the whole tone of this such, podcast. <laughs> great. Um, I, I have such a good answer for this. Um, describe what I do. Um, so I, yeah, I'm an actor. And um, during lockdown, I uh, had, there was no, I, pre- I mostly did theater and there was no theater. And mm-hmm. so I accidentally kind of like, as someone would fall downstairs, um, somehow figured <laughs> out, <laughs> created this sort of like Shit's Creek parody show called quarantine time. So now that's what I do. I have this, um, basically short sketch series on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube called quarantine time, where I do Moira Rose, as well as the rest of the, sh- uh-huh. the Rose family and, um, sort of their misadventures on life in lockdown. <laughs> It's lovely. And also, it's just one of those things where it seems like you're having the best time doing it. So I can imagine that it's just like, uh, you have to pinch yourself of like, this is my job now, technically, is to do this. Yeah, it still feels (laughs) weird to say this is my job. Like now that the world is reopening, I'm meeting people and they're like, so what do you do? And I can't bring myself to say I'm an influencer because I I, I now know influencers and I've been to events with influencers. I'm like, I don't think that's what I do. They're so much trendier and cooler than I will ever be. So it's like, I'm an actor with a show on TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. I've uh, never felt so old in my life saying that. Well, okay. <laughs> I one I have so many questions for you about TikTok because I am in the process of trying to understand it. Um, but I've resisted uh-huh. it for so long just because new technology, uh, I'm just it makes me tired. But I also understand the appeal of it. And like my for you page is literally just like women in the Midwest, like moms getting day drunk. <laughs> so I want your for you page. That sounds awesome. Mine is a mix between like opera singers and like cats and then like castles. The musical like, or the animals? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're okay. Let me go back in time a little bit because you have a BFA in theater arts from Boston University and an MA in yep. classical acting from the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, which sounds yeah. dramatic to say. Uh, 
D- what? D- yeah. Tell me about that experience. So you, you get your BA or BFA in theater and then you're like, not enough. I got to go to London and get more. Yeah. Well, my journey, I, I'm so ADD and this is my problem. So uh-huh. I graduated, I got my BFA in theater arts um, where I studied acting, you know, primarily acting and then went and did a casting internship in LA on CSI Miami. Because BU has this program where you can go to LA and actually study the industry, which most, you know, drama schools don't teach you about auditioning and how the real industry works. So I interned on CSI Miami, met my friend, Melissa Delizia, who shout out, just got nominated for an Emmy for Pen15 for casting. I'm so proud of her, but she was the assistant. I was the intern. We're still good friends. Anyway, I digress. Um, (laughs) But I grew to really love casting. And so I spent um, most of my 20s sort of bouncing back and forth between acting and casting. Interesting. Um, which was great. So I always had sort of a parallel career because I was always nervous about like, what if I wake up and I'm 60 and I'm, you know, so I oh, wanted okay. to have other skills in general. But the problem with that then is I didn't become super successful in either because I kept switching. <laughs> um, so finally, and I did work, like I did the National Tour of Spam a lot. I did a lot of theater, but, and worked on some amazing shows with Melissa and some other great people. But yeah, so hit a point where I was like, I really want to, I think I need to give acting 100% and I need to go back and get more training and somehow got into Lambda's master's program. Wow. What's the, what's the, uh, like the application process? Do you have to audition? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a series of auditions, um, to get in and that master's what I liked about it was it's all classical text. So it's mostly Mm. Shakespeare, but then for the the theater nerds out there, it's like Jacobean and restoration tragedy, you know? Um, so all classical text, which I had never really studied. So it was terrifying. So I felt like, you know, for a dancer, it'd be like going back and getting a master's in ballet, you know, sort of like doing the the broccoli, as some people called it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was really fun. I was shocked I got in because it's a, you know, it's a big drama school in the UK. And also just living in London was magical. I was at this weird uh, point in my life where I, I wasn't happy with myself. I was very sad, you know, so I kind mm-hmm. of, some of those moments I was like, I needed a big kick in the pants and a big change. And I was like, yeah. I'm just going to move across the ocean to another country and study Shakespeare for a year. Wow. And it was incredible. We, we would have workshops on the globe, you know, on the stage at the globe theater. And, wow. Um, Oh, did you know? Met some really incredible people. So it was magical. I recommend it to anyone and everyone. Uh, I, I mean, are you writing your book currently? It sounds <laughs> like an incredible experience. Um, yeah. I, I'm always curious about someone that has a theater background that you must have experienced some questionable or experimental theater in uh, your time studying yeah. the art. Is there anything that stands out to you that you can remember that you've seen uh, with your own eyes? <laughs> that I've seen or was in? About either, it. either. Uh, um, oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, not questionable, I guess, but things where you're like, what am I doing? I was in this one play, which actually was a really beautiful play, but it yeah. was very abstract. And it was the first sort of abstract play I did it. And um I played this, I had this one scene where I played like an Italian lifeguard who has to come on stage and save this woman. And I'm wearing a Speedo. And right before I go on stage, I had to stand in a baby pool and have people dump water on my head to get me wet. And it was freezing. It was like the ice bucket challenge before the ice bucket challenge, but backstage and come on stage. And then I rescue her and we make love on the beach. And (laughs) the director at this, who's actually really successful, but she's a big director and it was a cool move, but she had this thing. She was like, like this vision of their, they make love underneath a giant jellyfish. And so that like a metaphorical jellyfish. And so we had a parachute 
that was sort of a translucent sort of white color jelly uh, parachute that the rest of the cast stood around and sort of billowed above us. And wow. instead of like having a full like sex scene, because she didn't want anything graphic, we covered the leading lady in strands of pearls. And we, I just was under this parachute, which was billowing above me while I'm just rubbing pearls on our, our leading lady. Um, apparently it was stunning for people who watched it, but when you're in it, you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm rubbing That's... pearls on this beautiful, her name is Rupa Adi. She's an amazing actress. And I was like, I'm just rubbing pearls on Rupa while a jellyfish parachute pulses above me. Um, wow. but I apparently mean... it was very moving and beautiful for the audience. Um, oh, I can't it was, imagine. It was fun. So I had that. Uh, I love that you're like, let me think. Oh, here's a very specific memory. <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't thought about that in a while. Or we had one, I had a true actor's nightmare. You know, like uh-huh. after you have those nightmares where either you like, you book a show and you don't know the lines or something. Yeah. I was doing this one musical, it was a brand new musical, it was the world premiere. Um, it's called Some People Hear Th- or, um, Some People Hear Thunder. Yeah, this is called about the Armenian genocide. It's this very serious, amazing show, kind of like, you're trying to make it like the next lame is. Okay. And it started with this huge production number at the beginning of shows, 10 minute number that constant key changes and rhythms, all these people coming and going in a train station. And the night before this one show, when all these Broadway investors were coming to see, um, oh the assistant to the writer took the score from the music director because she wanted to scan and make an online PDF of it because they'd made so many rewrites through rehearsals. He was the only one with a full copy of the score. Okay. And even the musicians in the pit, us, we would always just get our pages. We didn't have a full. So she scanned the whole thing, but then put it back in the wrong order. I don't know how. I think because she was overworked, she was exhausted. It was like yeah. four o'clock in the morning. Poor thing was probably half asleep. Put it back in wrong. But the first couple of pages were right. So when we went to do the show, he just checked the first couple of pages. He was like, okay, we're good to go. It opens oh, with no. this brief little scene. And then the lead guy, he starts to sing. Luckily, his perfect pitch. And yeah. I give him his line for the music intro and no music happens. Because <gasps> the director realized that the music was not in the right order. And he oh only had the first couple of pages of the song. And so he just starts singing. And <laughs> we just start singing. And thank God he had perfect pitch. And so we come in in the right key. And all of a sudden, music just comes in. Wow. And like, cause I want to say like the trumpet player was like, I remember I vaguely played these notes here yeah. and I think this is where they are. And the trombone would just come in. So we did this whole 10 minute number running around the stage, just singing with music, just sporadically playing. <laughs> At one point I had to run backstage to enter on the other side. I run past music director. He's just throwing pages in the air, screaming like expletives. Um, one girl in the cast starts to cry and we're ha- I had to push her on stage because she was like, I can't, I can't, I can't the whole audience and we're, the whole audience is looking at us like all of their heads are tilted and that like is this on purpose right thing? exactly that it's like it looked like some crazy abstract number right but like, like when you go to the theater you have to suspend your disbelief of like this yeah. is purposeful and, and it's so the first you're, song. Yeah, you're the asshole if you're like, this yep. sucks. This is not right. <laughs> and at one point, like some people started singing because they thought they were supposed to come in and they came in at the wrong time because the other <laughs> ones thought they were on a different wavelength. So all of a sudden, the, the whole song, somehow we all <sighs> ended together. We stand, we plant ourselves center, we sing the last notes and the music just slowly peters out because they're like, <laughs> like it's, I guess we're done. And the director was actually in the show. So we're like changing the set for the next scene and I had to bring a chair this is where the actors move the set and he comes running on he's a lot like nathan lane so imagine nathan lane comes (laughs) running on stage he's like stop 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 the production which i've never been in a show that stopped and he's like stop what's going on and our stage manager comes over 
in front of the audience, stops the show cold. I'm standing center stage holding an armchair and I just freeze. I'm like, what's <laughs> happening? And all these Broadway producers and investors are in the audience and they're all sitting right center and I'm just looking at them and they're like, what's happening? In this very serious show about a genocide, they're like, what? Oh and my God. Um, the stage manager comes over the God mic and she's like, Kevin, stop. We're figuring it out. And he just stops. He just looks at the audience. He's like, live theater, ladies and gentlemen. And then just like vamps and he just starts wow. telling stories from his theater life and then she comes on she's like we figured it out where do you want to go and he goes these people deserve a full show let's go from the top and walks wow. off the music comes in for the opening number but the problem is at this point the whole cast has now changed their costumes for the next song so everyone comes sprinting back on stage in the wrong costumes but we do the whole number again in the wrong costumes but at least with music and wow. then and then from there, the audience loved it, though. They lost their minds. And the whole rest of the show, anytime a song went well, they were like standing ovation. They were like, they did it. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of a brilliant tactic to be like, everything can only be more uh, appreciative from here. This has been yeah. a shit show off the top and everything is going to be wonderful from yeah. here on out. Get your it checkbooks was... ready. I mean, I would Venmo yeah. all of my investments to the director. Right. And what I say, it is a really beautiful show about this very serious subject matter. So I'm glad that the rest of the show went well. And that cast, like, we're sort of forever bonded because we all survived one of those. Uh, I'll never forget the girl though backstage just crying and she's like, you can't do it. And we're like, you can. <laughs> I know that feels like an episode of Glee all at yeah. the same time. That's uh, incredible. Um, so sorry, long, long winded story. Again, I haven't thought I about that one in a long time. I so. love, I mean, again, get your book ready, write these down. Yeah. <laughs> these are fucking fascinating. Well, okay. On that note, you know, you're involved in this kind of, you know, uh, chaotic production that has a lot of people involved. And then you go from that in quarantine to making stuff by yourself on TikTok. Like, what's that yeah. experience? What's that shift like for you? It's It's been amazing. It's been a real learning curve because kind of, I guess, like you, I, my, like my friends call me grandpa because I don't know how social media works. Um, like I, Same. once yeah. all this got going, um, like a friend had to get on FaceTime and walk me through how to use Twitter so that I could tweet a response to, um, Justin Buttigieg because he wanted to see a video. So like, I was like, it sounds like a Mad um, Lib sentence. How does this work? <laughs> like, I, I don't know how these things work. And yeah. that's why like my, I don't have cool special effects or trends. I tried to do a green screen. It didn't work. So I just created a arts and crafts background once. So <laughs> it's been this amazing learning experience because uh, I feel like I'm the definition of imposter syndrome where I'm having success on something that I still don't know how it works. But, um, but the great thing that's come out of it is uh, this sort of newfound sense of confidence because I'd done improv before lockdown, a lot yeah. of improv, but I'd never had sort of the the confidence to create my own work. I, yeah. I was always told I was funny, but I never thought I could be a writer mm. and I never thought I could sort of helm my own thing. But yeah. when you're in lockdown and it feels like the world's ending, that's sort of the time, the ultimate time to take a big old <laughs> sort of like, you know, fuck it pill yeah. and, and just say, try it. You know, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? So it was sort of an inside joke at first. And then at the second video I did got a few thousand views, which for me is a lot. Yeah. And, um, so that's a, uh, I had a friend call me who's does drag and he was like, if you're going to do this, Michael, brush your hair oh, and maybe get more wigs. And then my mom called me. Yeah. And then my mom, cause I'd never costumes, done drag the wigs, Everything. Yeah. So like I started with me and uh, my sister lent me some clothes that oh, were black. Amazing. She was like, I just borrow anything of mine that's black. Cause I'm working from home anyway. Yeah. yeah. And then my mom called me and she was like, Michael, 
please just the beautiful thing about Shit's Creek is how positive and hopeful it is. And that's what we all need right now. So make every video positive, make every video hopeful. Your mom said so this it became, to you. Yeah. She's oh like, if you're going to do this, make it positive because that's what we want. Yeah. And um, so that became my quarantine challenge. Whereas like every couple of days I would make a video and it would be about something different. And it would always be about something that I personally or people I knew was like struggling with in lockdown, but finding the silver lining in it mm. or like finding the, the positivity. And it's like, how can I take this negative thing and, and grow from it? Or like, how do I find the best of it? Uh, and um, so it became very therapeutic in a way. Cause when yeah. I genuinely was really sad, I had to write an uplifting video, which just made me feel happier. And then I got this amazing confidence booster. I was like, I'm having success writing something and making something that's all mine. I'm not uh, relying on a, a director or a writer, somebody else to make, or an editor. I still don't really know how to edit videos. I kind of like, I do <laughs> it my best. It looks great to me. Thank I'm God like, for Splice. That's yeah. like idiot proof. Um, you know, so it's like that, that sense of accomplishment of doing it yeah. all on your own. And I'd never had that before. And so I feel like I walk a little bit taller these days. Even like when I order coffee, I think, I feel like even my vocal quality is different. I'm like, I would like a nice decaf coffee because I get too jittery when I have caffeine. As opposed to like, before I'd probably be like, I like decaf because I'm a wimp. You know, yeah. it's sort of like, I have this new sense of self. Um, that's, wow. that's been really incredible to come out of this. And at oh. the same time, yeah, I'm having an absolute blast. Like I crack myself up writing these things. <laughs> like, but that's the you know, thing, All right? these characters like are so brilliant. You, you know? have to be, you have to be your, uh, your own performer and you have to be your own audience. Like you have to create the things yeah. that you want to see on the internet. I just love so much that your mom <laughs> is yeah. helping you curate and craft the tone yeah. of your series that she, she sees was. the potential. <laughs> and it was such a good note at the beginning. Yeah. And I was like, this is so right. Keep everything positive. And that's what my sister calls me Mr. Rogers with a wig. Because now most of the people who follow me are like a lot of moms who watch me with their kids and they like oh. use my videos to teach their like their little kids vocabulary. Because my vocabulary is so crazy. So they'll watch my video and then look up the words after. Wow. And um, so that's also like really cute. So it's almost evolved into almost like a little kid show. And I actually have a good friend who she was like, I love it. See, I feel like I'm watching a children's show for grownups. Yeah. And she was like, it's like an ASMR thing. She was like, your voice doing the accent is weirdly soothing. Yep. And I've had people to me, they're like, I was in the hospital for six hours and I just binged your videos because it brought my heart rate down just <laughs> listening to the voice. So I guess that's a testament to Catherine O'Hara for creating that brilliant accent. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That people find just the thought of it so soothing that oh my it calms gosh. them. Um, so yeah, so it's... Yeah. So many different side effects uh, by accident of just doing something that you genuinely enjoy. That's beautiful. Yeah, and never thought would go anywhere. I was bored and my roommate had a busted old wig from a Halloween costume. <laughs> you know, I never dreamed that this would. I would end up on your show. You know, I it's love like, it. And now I hear I'm chatting with you. So you never know. That's why I feel like people now, it's like, just try. You know, yeah. I spent so much of my adult life being too scared to try anything. Oh, I and, think that's truly know. the most beautiful message. Um, and we're going to, okay, I want to get more into that in a second. We're going to take a break really quickly. Um, and we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. I, I love this conversation. So we'll be right back. Hi, friends. Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so 
appreciated because again you are very appreciated for giving us your time your ears your attention whatever it may be uh and that was my couple of things now back to me me okay michael we have to talk about a lot of things um Mm -hmm. first of all I'm curious, because uh, I, I think I read an article that you did an interview in Untitled, and you had talked about that you're not, um, you know, super well versed in doing impressions, but which is, you know, ironic, because this impression has become this like cornerstone for the content that you're making. How, how, uh, first of all, how did you get into doing this impression? And second of all, are you working on any others? Um, yeah, so I think, well, with the impressions, um, cause people are like, are you an impressionist? Right. And, yeah, that's you know, the like, expectation. Bianca, like those kind of people. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, not really. But I think I was when I was young. So I grew up, I'm a huge nerd. And I was a big Join the old club. movie buff, <laughs> right? When I was a kid, like I, 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 my mom showed me Arsenic and Old Lace and Harvey, those two old black and white movies when I was eight years old and I was obsessed. Wow. And so I grew up watching a lot of those old screwball comedies. And then I got really into the Carol Burnett show mm. and laughing and those kind of things. And so I would memorize the bits and I would do them. And then I got really into Robin Williams. And so yeah. and he does all those black wacka voices. And um, so I would memorize his bits and then like do them at dinner for my family. <laughs> and so I think, and Monty Python too, like yes. a huge Monty Python fan. So I'd memorize their sketches and, you know, it's like, there's some lovely muck over here, you know. Like, and then you get into the touring spam a lot. That must have been a fucking yeah. mind oh, uh, blowing experience. Dream come true. Like I, I had a moment on that tour when Eric Idle came to see the show when we played oh. LA and John Dupree, who wrote the music, but Eric Idle, obviously I grew up with it. And he came yeah. backstage and he went after the show. We were terrified to perform for him, obviously, because he had yeah. written spam a lot. And, um, he walked right up to me and he was like, I was the first person he walked straight up and he was like, you need to know you're very funny. <gasps> and I was like, Ooh. Oh my and gosh. I was 24. I just like, so I'm pretty sure I peed just a little bit. And <laughs> luckily my costume's huge. So no one knew. Yeah. Um, and then at that moment I was like, well, I can retire now. Yeah. Um, done. So up until Catherine O'Hara said I was funny. And then I was like, great. Now I can really uh, retire. Yeah. Um, two of my idols, but uh, anyway, but yeah, so as a kid, that's why I got into doing voices. Who's like, is there, I mean, you're one, you're recognized by Catherine O'Hara, which is uh, just so incredible. And yeah. I'm sure just so affirming on so many levels, but then there, I wonder, is there like an expectation now that you have to have other characters in the works or other like ideas for stuff kind of cooking? Yeah. Right now? So that's the thing. Cause before this, I, especially doing improv and stuff, I wouldn't really do like celebrity impressions or things like that. I just did like weird characters. Yeah. Um, and just sort of loved doing voices and accents. And so I think I just, wait well, has an ear for it. So that's why when doing Shit's Creek and all this doing impressions has come easier than I thought it would. Like I never really practiced Moira. It just kind of happened. And same with Alexis, <laughs> like, yeah. um, I think just from watching the show and, and, no, but it's turning out to be really fun. Like I've done Britney like three or four times. I had mm. Cher. I've done Henry Cavill, Patrick Stewart. Um, it's this really fun challenge to like challenge myself to get into these people's, like find their voice and their yeah. fun little mannerisms because it's finding like their essence. You know, it's like, you don't always sound exactly like Britney, but like what's Britney's little essence. So I'm really enjoying it. But yeah, that's that's a big thing. Everyone's like, what's next? And it's like, oh, I wish I had an answer. I'm sure there's a bit of pressure <laughs> with it. I'm curious, too, because you were telling me before we started recording that your mom is a clinical psychologist. And yeah. talk about finding people's essence. 
find it for better or worse. I wonder mm-hmm. if that has any impact on the way that you approach your characters or the way that she approaches your characters for you. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> actually, huge influence. We actually, so my mom and I, we're really tight. Um, yeah. My mom's a big nerd too. And when I was a kid, we, and we're so weird, but there would be nights when she's a talker. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm a talker. I, it's impossible <laughs> for me to be succinct or stay on topic. You for don't more know than how seconds. lovely it is for me to have a talker on the podcast. You do <laughs> you. God. It's wonderful. Great. Um, like if people, I feel bad at doing it because they're like, I just spent the whole time wrangling you. Um, my poor publicist. I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, but my mom and I, we would do this. We would sit up, we would sit in her bathroom. I'd go, we would like brush our teeth at night and then sit until three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> like I would finally sit on the floor in her bathroom and we would just talk. And, um, but I remember one night her talking, I was in rehearsals for some show because I started acting when I was six, you know? So I was wow. in rehearsals for something and I was having a lot of trouble finding the character. And so uh-huh. like 10 year old me, it's like, I don't know what his motivation is or something <laughs> like that, or like how to find the character. And my mom, but because she's a, you know, very successful psychologist, um, I think she was like, Michael, think about the little things. So like, look mm. at me. When I talk, I talk with my eyes closed, which she does. When she's talking, you can literally walk away, get a snack, come back, and she won't <laughs> she have has no idea. Because her eyes are closed. <laughs> and she talks with her hands. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and she's very aware of it and talks with her hands and has this mishmashy accent. She's from New York City and Long Island, but then lived in Oklahoma and London in the Midwest. She's got this weird accent. Wow, okay. And she's like, just hey, those little things. If you were to play me, you would close your eyes, you would use your hands a lot and your accent would morph depending on what you were saying. Pick those three things. And she was like, so for your character, pick three defining things and start with those. And that has actually really stuck with me. And whenever I'm playing a character, I'm kind of like that where I work the outside in. I find their voice. Like, how does this character speak? How do they communicate? What's their tone? And then, okay, great. What's their physicality? And then sort of work outside in. As opposed to I know so many actors who are like, my motivation, like, why am I doing this with me? It's much more like, what am I doing with my body? And that informs how I'm feeling. That's so interesting. And such a, um, like a fail safe on getting into a character and then discovering the depth, however deep you want to go with the characters, like find your physicality, find your like, you know, uh, like physical accessories that you always do and then build in deeper. Um, yeah. Is your mom starting an acting school? Because she should. <laughs> um, and so much of acting, you know, you go to drama school, half of it's group therapy anyway. Yeah, you just yeah. roll on the floor and cry. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're doing a monologue and the teacher's like, well, why are you having trouble accessing this? Because I was teased when I was five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know. Let's rub his shoulders. Rub it. Everyone rub his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so, and she's a huge movie buff and a huge theater, but you know, she took me to my first show when I was a kid and she grew up in New York with Broadway and all that. So, mm. and my dad was a musician before he was a lawyer. So I'm really lucky that I grew up with parents who love the arts. Cool. Um, who were really encouraging and helpful. That's you know? super cool. So, and wanted to help in any way they could. So. That's awesome. I mean, it is, it's wild how um, mirroring your actual family life is of the characters that you're working on. (laughs) And our family is a lot like the Rose family. So it's It's, I mean, it sounds like my dad is a lot like Johnny. My mom has her Moira moments and my sister and I go back. My sister is actually much more David. I think I'm the Alexis of the family. There you go. Well, I mean, yeah, Yeah. the way you talk about your mom's strange uh, accent, I'm just like, well, there it is. It's all right there. there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to now get into 
the questions that I ask every single guest that is on the Not Too Deep. We have two questions. First is, who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? Yeah. Ooh, throw cold spaghetti at. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of me thinks that's not so bad because I love spaghetti and I'm always hungry. So I'd be yeah. like, sure, it's a snack. Thanks. <laughs> um, but I imagine this is in like a not nice way. Um, uh, who would I want? I mean, my first thought was a political one. I don't I don't ever want to go there. Um, <laughs> throw spaghetti at. That's tough. It um, is a very, it is a bit of a psychological a question. Realist- I know okay. this. I'm so I'm moving in September. <laughs> I have to move okay. September 1st. And I just went through this whole thing trying to find an apartment. And this is where life is funny. <laughs> so the day before I was uh-huh. looking at apartments, this real estate agent was this whole time. She was like, you're a shoe and it'll be great. And I was like, I don't have a normal income. I'm technically a quote unquote influencer. So I don't yeah. have pay stubs, but I can afford this apartment. Right. You know, we'll, I'll show X, Y, Z. And she was like, oh, don't worry. Just show blah, blah, blah. We had like two weeks to be trying to prove that I can pay my rent. And she's like, you're going to be good. I go to, I get invited to this big party. I meet Drew Barrymore. We oh, I saw this on your Instagram. Yep. Yeah. And I finally, because I was going to be on her show. Yeah. And I had already pre taped it. So I got to finally, I got to meet her. I was like, Drew. And she cool. was the nicest person. You know, and there's all these famous celebrities. And I'm looking around, people know who I am. And it was one of the first times in my life I felt, you know, kind of like a celebrity. Yeah. It was very cool. It was, cool. It was neat. And, um, you know, it was great. And then the next day I got turned down for this apartment um, <laughs> because they were like, you don't know, have proof of income. And I was like, but Drew Barrymore thinks I'm cool, but I can't highs, get an apartment. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is my, you know, the moment you start to feel great, life comes mm-hmm. in, it's like humble. Yep. Um, so, but that real estate agent, she lied to me for two weeks mm. and strung me along. And I was so mad. I had never had anyone treat wow. me that way. And she was so, the way she shut it down was so disrespectful. And, um, frustrating. I, you know, I understand the reasons why, but she did it in such a tactless, rude way. Ugh. And I've never experienced that. So I was so angry. So, um, <laughs> even then me being angry was like, ma'am, I need you to know that that was very disrespectful. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was me ranting. Yeah, um, I was, I so was I'm not good at confrontation. Her. I told her in a strongly worded email, but I still said all the best and best of luck in the future. Like, <laughs> Um, so yeah, her, but so... I would love to throw me throwing spaghetti at her feels like the most aggressive thing I could do. So I'd throw spaghetti at this, this horrible realtor, um, I love that real estate agent. I would throw spaghetti at her. <laughs> I love that. I don't think there's anything that could go wrong with that. I think, Great. uh, it would go viral and you know, you'd have landlords calling you asking you to fill their apartments. After that. Great. I film all my videos at home. I'll plug your building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, okay. The other question that I ask every single guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or, <sighs> or like a bathroom emergency situation. However, you can only use three words or small phrases to describe the event. Um, so for example, mine is college jogging front lawn. Oh, <laughs> um, thank God. Um, that you can't elaborate because I would and my parents would hear this. Um, Okay, mine is first boyfriend, coffee table. Thank God for an extra pair of gym shorts. (laughs) Uh, Though I am incredibly curious about this coffee table part of this story, I uh, dedicate myself to no follow-up questions here. Great. Uh, okay, now we're moving on to a section of the podcast called Deep and Hot, where I ask you a deep question that we prepared mm-hmm. for you. 
and uh, for a hot take on something. So uh, let's get into our deep question first, which you've kind of touched on a little bit, but I'm curious how you answer this. Um, When did you first see your parents as just the people that they are? Ooh, when did I first see my parents as just the people that they are? I mean, it sounds like you're six years old on the bathroom floor talking to your mom about developing stage characters. But so it might have been then. Uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, it was when I was in a play when I was like nine and they talked about blowjobs and bless her heart, I got in the car door. So I was like, mom, what's a blowjob? And she tore, <laughs> I give her so much credit. I got the full sex talk when I was nine. Wow. Um, she was, she was brilliant. But when did I first see my parents as truly the people that they are? Um, so this, this is deep and I'll try not to get too long because it's a long story. But so my, my uncle, one of my mom's brothers was a fireman and he was killed in nine 11. Oh, wow. Um, and it's actually this ring that I wear because he saved all of his men, um, and wow. another company of men and then stayed behind with a paraplegic and a paraplegic's best friend. And, and they, wow. they were killed in the second tower. Um, but my mom was really close with him. He was for, you know, and, um, he was just missing for a week. We didn't know where he was because all of his men got out yeah. and all of them survived. And he, he was like, I'm right behind you. I'm right behind you. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And then didn't. Wow. And he was one of the last phone calls we made is called his best friend. And he was like, I'm not in the building. I'm around the corner. So none of us knew where he was. And so, and my dad was on a work trip in North Carolina when it all happened. And, um, my dad sort of did sort of like the mom and home alone to just get home. And you we still Catherine don't know O'Hara? Fully- Catherine O'Hara, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, you know how she goes through like all those hoops yeah. just to get home. His story of getting home from North Carolina because he couldn't fly and you couldn't go anywhere. Wow. But he works for the uh, attorney general's office. He's a lawyer. And so he got like a sheriff to drive him to one point and then another cop to drive him to this point and then had this frantic drive home. But my sister and I kind of had to be there. My mom was so distraught. Mm-hmm. And there's something about seeing them in that way because both my parents are very sort of very traditional, as, as non-traditional as we can be. They're very traditional parents where they were like, we are the parents. So I'd never mm-hmm. seen my mom break. And that was the first time I saw her cry like that. Mm. Like there was a moment where I think it hit her a couple of days in that he had died and he wasn't coming back. And I remember her sitting down, putting her hand or her head in her hands and just starting to cry. And I looked at my sister and we just didn't know what to do at first in that moment because both my parents are very strong people. Mm -hmm. Um, They got married when they were 21 years old. Like their life story is insane. And both of them had crazy childhoods and they're incredibly strong people. And so watching her in that moment, the vulnerability because she yeah. had to, she just couldn't. Yeah. And, and knowing and talking to my dad every day and having him go on this journey mm-hmm. to get home. Cause my dad's a very quiet person, sort of sure. a silently strong man. And I, to have him do something that sort of like, I am getting home. Yeah. Um, was also a little out of character in some way. I mean, now that I see it's not out of character. Sure. Um, now that I've gotten to know my dad better, of course he would move mountains to get home like that. And of course he would, you know, and I remember the moment he walked in the house, the, just the relief. Um, and wow. then, but there was a, a vulnerability to my parents in that moment and a strength in both of them that I'd never seen. And I think that's when I was like, oh no, you're not just like mom and dad, you're people. Um, yeah, that there's a, and, a deep complexity to them. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of those moments that you never forget. And, and an yeah. experience like that, that stays with you forever. Um yeah, I would say that's wow. when I saw that they were like, Oof. thank you for yeah. sharing. I mean, that's an incredible story. And also uh, is very 
uh, understandable as to like the bond that you have with your parents, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the current day that they are able to be vulnerable and able to be resilient at the same time in the face of unexpected tragedy. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, not to shift the focus. On no, that's I feel so bad. I felt like the energy was like, no, it's I, like, I guess I we went to, I never talk about no, this. The first interview I've ever I, brought that up in. I, I usually look, don't because it's I'm, so, it, it is heavy. I, but I appreciate the story so much and like sharing. I'm just like, I, I forget that I'm recording a podcast with you. I just feel like we're friends talking about Sorry. this. I'm like, tell I me know. more. No, 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 you're so talking. good at your job because I honestly fully forgot. So I was like, I feel like we're just trying. I just saw, I know. I just saw a little thing on my laptop being like, you're recording. I was like, oh shit. Right. Okay. Here we yeah. go. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Now I'm going to ask for your hot take. Um, Great. Uh, and it kind of goes into everything you're talking about with your mom. So, uh, what is it about the character of Moira that captivates people? What do you think the essence is? Like, what is that core thing? Yeah, I think I think there's something about Moira that goes hand in hand with a lot of other great female characters that we love, like Lucille Bluth, like Karen mm-hmm. Walker, um, mm, like Blanche mm-hmm. Devereaux. Um, yep. These strong, kind of eccentric women who are so unapologetically themselves, mm-hmm. but have big hearts. They're good people. You know, like Karen Walker is, you know, she's Karen, but at the end of the day, she always will do the right thing. Yeah. And that's why I think Moira, I think Moira, she says what's on her mind. You know, she has the, like the courage to say the things that nobody else would, Mm -hmm. but she's so tactful about it that she's never mean. Mm. Um, and she's got a heart as big as her vocabulary, which is saying something. (laughs) And she's so like unapologetically whimsical and just owns all of her eccentricities to her. It's not strange. To mm-hmm. her, this is just life. And I think it's that's something that we all wish we could be, yeah. is that um, I think a lot of us are too self-conscious to really let our quote-unquote sort of like freak flag fly and like yeah. say what's on our minds. And I feel like there's something about her where she like, she does, um, yeah. but in a way that's never malicious. And oh. um, I think that's what, at least that's what I love about her. And I think yeah. it's so sort of inspirational about that character. Like who has the courage to like dress like a witchy vampire with three wigs <laughs> or two wigs on their heads and like use that accent. But then yeah. at the end of the day, she also is always uplifting. You yeah, know? it's like, harmless. Her authenticity yeah, like is harmless. Yeah, she'll cut you down, but then pick you back up in a better way. And I feel yeah. like that's a lot of those sort of iconic women in TV and film are kind mm. of like that, yeah. you know? Oh, I love that analysis of this. Thank you so much. Um, Okay, we're going to take one last break. When we get back, uh, we have a question submitted by a listener slash viewer that could could use some advice from you and I as to wild unprofessionals in the world of doing life. So (laughs) we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Okay, Michael, we have a question um, that I thought, based on your life experience, you might have um, some interesting advice for. So this comes from uh, someone named Kate. They said they're 20 Mm. years old. They're a senior at Temple University in Philly. They're currently a psychology major with a dance minor, but they've realized that they want to dance professionally after graduation and not pursue something psych-related at the moment. Do you think your degree... Uh, 
has set you up for anything that has happened in your career. My parents are pressuring me to go straight to grad school to do something psych related, but obviously I don't want to do that. I'm currently mid existential crisis. So anything about any of this will be helpful. Thank you so much, Bestie, which I've learned from TikTok is the way everyone talks to each other. Now. Oh, is it? <laughs> I just thought everyone was my best friend. <laughs> I'm so naive. <laughs> So what kind of what kind of thoughts do you have around this that the, this person is a psychology degree, but rather mm. than taking a further route in psychology, they're more curious in their dance minor and exploring that for the time being. Again, they're 20 years old. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, thoughts. Um, so my first thought is like I have a lot of friends who are dancers and because um, from doing so much musical theater. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to do dance, you want to do it when you're 20 years old while That's your body is still in great shape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> if you're going to pursue it, this is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think super smart to, you know, get that other degree in psychology because, you know, acting, dancing, any yeah. of the arts, it's such a it's a tough business and you know, it's so hard to really make a living doing it. So if you can have any backup skills, any backup knowledge that will only help you, um, maybe you can find a better day job than, you know, than (laughs) I don't know, waiting tables. Although I liked waiting tables. I was terrible at it, but it was fun. Um, so, but that's my thing is like, life is short, you know, life is so, so short and it's so precious. And if you can, if, if you can pursue, dancing and still, you know, not be homeless, you know, if you can have a life while pursuing that dream of being a dancer, then now is the time to do it. And if you have that bachelor's in psychology, you can always go back and get another degree. It's never too late to go back to grad school, maybe be a dancer for 10 years. And then you're like 32. And you're like, I had a dance career. It was magical and wonderful. And I traveled and I did all that stuff. And now I want to settle down and have a more sort of routine life. Let me go back to school. My sister's 37 and is a very successful engineer. And now she's potentially going back to get a PhD in something completely different. So it is also, she's brilliant. It's like a PhD in biomedical engineering and she's going to cure cancer. Like (laughs) the smartest person I know. So your family can't chill out on being just like the greatest citizens. (laughs) My sister's an absurd overachiever, but, um, I'm the goofy one. She's the smart one. Well, she's <laughs> hilarious too. But so, but goes to show like you can never, she would finish her PhD when she's like 44. Yeah. Who cares? You know, yeah. you do what you love. And that's mm-hmm. what my thing is. I think life's too short to do something that you're not going to enjoy. So if dancing brings you joy, then go dance. I a hundred thousand percent agree with all that, especially like truly your brain is going to be there for years, you know, your body might not be in the way that you want. And also the fact that you're even questioning this at 20 years old is not an existential crisis. It's literally like you are being ahead of your own curve of going, if I have this pang in the back of my brain that I am minoring in dance, that's how much I care about it. Like try that for a bit and then come back to the actual schoolwork that will, like you said, always be there for you. For sure. And also, like, as someone who went to grad school in his late 20s, um, I loved being a grad student later because I yeah. had life experience and I knew better what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I think, and I knew a couple of people who went straight to grad school at like 22. You're 22, you don't know what you want. Your frontal lobes aren't even fully developed. <laughs> Your ability to foresee consequence is not there. Um, right. yeah. That was one of the best things my mom told me when I was young. Every time I screwed up and I was like, it's because my frontal lobes aren't fully developed. I couldn't foresee the consequence of this decision. Um, and it's true. I know women develop faster than men, neurologically yeah. speaking, but still you're 20. You know, 
I think the best grad student, I think it's much more useful to go back a little bit later. You've had yeah. some life experience, you've lived, and then you'll know maybe psychology and dance, neither are what you want. Maybe yeah. you get into the world and you're like, I want to be a stylist. That's yeah. what I want to do. I'm yeah. 28 and I'm going to become a stylist now. You know, it's never too that. late to change. So I say, yeah, follow your passion too young at 20, do it. Look, and then I'm, figure out later. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to be 36 and I'm in a graduate program right now because yeah. I've like done the artist thing for a bit experience that. And now I want to go have a structured learning uh, environment for a bit. Uh, and it is really nice to be going now at 35, almost 36 versus 26, where I didn't know what the fuck I was doing or why yeah. I was doing it. And so yeah. now, yeah, just having a bit of experience in the world, um, I think is the better situation mm -hmm. to go to graduate school. You have more of like a... Yeah foundation and you can be a little bit more present with the work at hand rather than just being yeah. like this is what i know how to do is cool um mm -hmm. and a much better sense of self you you have a better yeah. idea of what you want totally so, yeah. michael this has been so fun you're so easy to talk to i feel like i could spend another like three hours just go shooting the shit about all of it and also yeah. unearthing more traumatic theater experiences <laughs> that you've had oh, there's so many um <laughs> Before we wrap up completely, we like to gift our guest a personalized horoscope from us to you that we have created specifically for you. I think Melissa is going to put it in the chat for you if you'd like uh -huh. to read that out loud for us. And if you're okay. on your phone, yeah, whatever you need to do. Yes. Got it. You just went away, but I'm on the chat. Um, right. I'm probably going to look crazy because now that I can't see myself, I forget <laughs> I'm on camera. Okay. Dear... <laughs> I'm not to do anything weird. Okay. Dear Gemini, twins of the stars. Leo opposing Saturn in Aquarius may have had you feeling frustrated by hard to understand new ideas. But the key is to keep trying, keep learning, and admit we're all fucking dumb regardless. <gasps> ah, great <gasps> advice. There you How go. are these always so spot on? They're just vague enough. You're like, oh my God, it's true. That's literally <laughs> what I'm going through right now. It is. Um, Michael, where can people find you and everything that you're up to if they don't already know? They can follow me on Instagram and the TikToks at M Judson Berry, M J U D S O N B E R R Y. And they can follow me on the tweeters at M Judson, the number one Berry, M Judson <laughs> one Berry, because I created a Twitter account a long time ago and I don't know how to get back in and change it. So, um, or access it. So I'm M Judson one Berry on Twitter because I'm that technologically incompetent. And I'm on YouTube if you just look up Michael Judson Berry or Quarantine Time. Awesome. Uh, go check out everything that he's doing. He's walking tall. He's ordering his decaf coffee confidently. So anything is possible. Keep tabs on this brilliant, brilliant artist. Uh, again, thank you, Michael, for making time and chatting with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Of course. And we'll see you guys next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. With Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated, producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus, post-production sound by Chris Henry, and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. <laughs> <laughs>